0: And welcome to the Cardinal Community Podcast. Today, we have as guest Dr. Lars Brunius, who is the Director of Education at IOHK. Lars has spent a lot of time in regions like Africa, India. He led a course in Ethiopia, where 22 women had the chance to learn Haskell. And also in Barbados, where 10 students learned functional programming thanks to IOHK. Without further ado, welcome on the show, Lars. And it's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you very much, Max. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Um, let's introduce yourself.
1: Right, so um, I'm Lars, I'm German and uh, I, by training I'm a mathematician. So I um, studied mathematics in Cologne and then did my PhD in Regensburg. Spent some uh, one year in Cambridge as a postdoc and then some more years at university teaching. And uh, I'm so I'm really passionate about that. But I've also always been passionate about programming. And I think I first learned heard about Haskell during my year at Cambridge in the early 2000s. And then, uh, even though professionally I worked on more standard technologies like C Sharp, .Net, uh, JavaScript, I always in my spare time um, did some Haskell for relaxation. And so I was very <laughs> excited then. <laughs> um, when this opening at IHK appeared and I applied. So yes, I'm passionate about um, mathematics, about programming, and also about teaching. That's somehow in my genes because my mother was a teacher and um, a very good one, I think, also a math teacher. And um, I've always loved explaining and uh, teaching. So at university, I I had these uh, assistant jobs uh, with uh, tutorials and so on, and I always really enjoyed that. So I was very happy to get these chances at IHK to to teach.
0: So why why IHK specifically? Why did you join in 2016? IHK was there a specific reason? It was mostly the Haskell.
1: I mean, <clears throat> as I said at my previous job, um, uh, it was like standard technologies, and they yeah. it was a very big company, so they weren't flexible. They weren't open to introducing new. Mm-hmm. things. I mean, .NET, Microsoft, I mean, C-Sharp is Microsoft, and they also have a functional programming language, F-Sharp, which is very similar to OCaml, actually. And A couple of times I tried to introduce that for little projects at my old company, and uh, it was always blocked, and so mm-hmm. I got more and more yeah. frustrated, and then eventually decided I want to, to, to get a job where I can do a Haskell. And then at that time I was lucky that IHK was looking so I applied so it wasn't the blockchain thing in the first place I mean that's very interesting mathematically and also lots of potential to change the world for the better but my main motivation was actually the, the Haskell I found it cool that such an interesting company uses Haskell as their main development language
0: mm-hmm. definitely and why Haskell why, why... We are just passionate about it. Is there a specific thing which makes it so different from these other languages?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, first of all, I just like exotic languages um, <laughs> because I, I I think it's it's always good if if you are challenged to to have to if you're forced to to think in different ways. I think even if in your day job, you you do a standard language, this different perspective from exotic languages can always help. And that I mean, can be anything can be prologue or forth or or Haskell. Uh, So that's the one thing. But I think Haskell in particular is, is especially nice. I mean, it's some are very mathematical i mean the, in its history it's more inspired by mathematics and less by engineering so that suits me of course and i think it's very extremely elegant it's very flexible so um, so it allows you to allows you to express a lot of of complicated invariants and so on in in the language itself and it's very um very little noise i mean no semicolons at line ends and n- no curly brackets and um mm-hmm. yeah so, so it's very sparse and very um elegant and you're also creative because it has this two-dimensional layout so whitespace white space is actually significant in haskell so so you can somehow even structure your code that it's if, um that looks nice and and meaningful how you how you indent it and so on and uh, so i think it's a beautiful language to express um ideas and basically like mathematical ideas or all sorts of ideas um, in in code, so that you can then actually run it. And because of its features, it's very safe and uh, powerful. So I think it's it's a beautiful compromise between um, an interesting research language and an actual practical language. So it's mm-hmm. a, yes. So I think it's really a beautiful language.
0: Okay, that's very interesting to hear. Um, I, I've always thought it was really interesting to to understand all these differences between all these languages, because uh-huh. as a non-programmer, you don't often understand all these differences, but apparently there are a lot. And so uh, it, it's interesting how all these languages differ and how you can use them for different purposes. Uh, right. while you may think that you can just use one language for everything, but that's not the case.
1: I mean in principle of course theoretically all the so called tool incomplete languages which are most of them in principle you can do everything. I mean mm-hmm. every you can solve every problem in any language if it's tool incomplete, which most of them are, most standard languages. But uh, that doesn't mean that it's it's a pleasure to express a certain project in, <laughs> in a given language. Okay. Um, and um, I mean, as you said, sorry, um, these um, mm-hmm. differences, I mean, some of the languages are indeed very similar. I mean, it's more like syntax. So in one language, it's called uh, mm-hmm. whatever, I mean, loop and then the other four and uh, and there are some small syntactic uh, differences. So for example, Java and C sharp um, are very similar. There. are differences, but it doesn't really uh, it require a different way of thinking. But I mean, some languages like this functional Haskell versus the mainstream imperative languages or object oriented languages, uh, you really have to to think about prob- problems differently. And that I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, so in the one, I mean, mainstream Java, so you basically think step by step. What does the computer have to do now and then and then? Whereas in functional languages, you more it's more declarative, so you basically give it the mm-hmm. words and so it's it's a totally different way of thinking and that I find fascinating
0: definitely so now speaking about Haskell and the uh, Ethiopia course uh-huh. not a lot of time has passed uh, what are your thoughts about it What's, what was your experience I'm
1: I mean it was very very important experience for me so i called it the highlight of my professional life so and I, I still stand by that so so it was very powerful for me because it combined all the things i like as i said before I mean, mathematics haskell teaching but it also um, really felt meaningful because i mean going to a country like ethiopia and, and especially helping women there mm-hmm. so, so it really felt as if i was able to make a difference so i had fun with haskell and fun with teaching plus um it it felt like a really important work to do so so it was a great experience and we hope to um, repeat it or something similar next year when we do a course in mongolia a similar course
0: okay so there will be a course next year in mongolia with haskell Yes, saying. I mean
1: it's it's always hard to say yeah. things are moving so fast, but but right so, now all the signs <laughs> say that yes, we will do a course in Mongolia next year.
0: Okay, that, that that's really great uh, to hear. Um, what, do 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 we know what these women have become? Are they currently working with Haskell? Are they um, or are they in this tech industry now? Like how how is it going?
1: Um, I know that uh, we made most of them an offer and uh, a big bunch of them are working for IHK, some of them with Haskell, but also now um, that Cardano slowly becomes more mature, we mm-hmm. also have these, uh, this enterprise branch, Atala, which yeah, is Scala yeah, yeah. based actually, and um, Pluto. so the idea is also to, to use them for projects like that, so um, then work okay, on Scala yeah. or Pluto. Yeah, I,
0: I really love the idea of educating people from the start and then making them work in your company. its, it's yes. It shows that IOHK does things great because a lot of courses, they just give a course, but the level of the course isn't high enough for you to go and work in that company. But here it shows really that it was a high level course.
1: Yes, indeed. And I, I truly believe that it's the right way to, I mean, that it's, it's good that we do Haskell and then even if they then afterwards, maybe work on Scala or Plutus or something, mm-hmm. because Haskell, as uh, Charles always says, it's this, this great filter, I mean, it's like a very pure um language. So, so some of the ideas that if you're trained in Haskell, then you, it's relatively easy for you to also learn these other technologies. So, so I'm big a big believer in that. And yes, I'm very glad that we, we try to offer every uh, that passes our courses um, a job if we, if we can. I mean, that's because uh, it's always said that um, a lot of countries suffer from this brain drain where the best and brightest, then mm-hmm. once they got an education, they leave to the U.S. or to Europe. Yeah. So I'm very proud that we uh, offer an alternative where people can stay in their communities and still, um, I mean, have an interesting, challenging mm-hmm. job.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, now, to speak about the Plutus ebook, I, I just first wanted to ask the question, um, what is the main difference between Plutus and Haskell? Because Plutus is based on Haskell, if I understand. Well, right. what are the key differences?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, you're right. I mean, as a language, Plutus is almost equal to Haskell. It's not. I mean, mm. there are some technical differences, but uh, it's more the the application. So, so Plutus is our smart contract language. So, it yeah, it will run on the blockchain. Yeah. So whereas oh, Haskell is a normal uh, general oh, okay. purpose programming okay. language.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So, so Plutus is not only actually. I mean, it's a bit vague. What exactly? we mean by Plutus, but it's not only the language, it's also the ecosystem and the way it works, how how smart, smart contracts actually work um, in, in Cardano will work. So that is also called Plutus and the, the language itself is only a part of it.
0: So yeah, it's the okay. whole
1: infrastructure. Framework. Yeah, yes,
0: okay. yes, exactly. Okay, definitely. Um, and so Plutus and uh, Haskell are pretty similar. Um, so what is actually Pluto's so it's a framework in in a kind of ecosystem of all these things. Is it so? You have the language, you have the tools, you have the smart contracts.
1: Right. I mean, it's very similar, but it's not the same. So there is actually a basically you take Haskell and Haskell gets translated into Pluto's, but because they are very similar, there is not a big uh, gap. So so in principle, you can think of the Mm Pluto's programs you write in terms of your Haskell experience, which is good, and um, so. Right. And so Plutus is then, I mean, it's this one part where a piece of Haskell code is translated into Plutus. And then it's also the infrastructure that then bundles that up with the transaction and deploys it on the blockchain. And and then, of course, during validation, transaction validation, this code has to be executed by nodes and so on. But uh, what is great about this thing that it's very similar to Haskell is that we don't have this gap that, for example, Solidity has. Um, I mean, there the Solidity is one language that runs on-chain and but for, to, to interface with smart contracts off-chain, um, you have to use JavaScript, for example. Mm-hmm. So there are two yeah. different languages in play. And um, our idea, or one of the ideas with Plutus was to, that basically everything is Haskell. I mean, it's admittedly a steep yeah. learning curve to to get there. But once you know Haskell, then in principle you, you don't do have to change languages and can yeah. do everything. Definitely.
0: Sorry. That's a, yeah, yeah, definitely that's a really interesting way of doing things. And I, th- I think it's also. Awesome it just makes more sense actually to have one language instead of using uh, multiple language to have one thing.
1: Right, it might, I mean, of course, as I said, it's, it's you have to first learn Haskell. Yeah. So we are also, I'm not completely sure, but I think we are also considering like writing different compilers that compile to Plutus that for example, you could use Scala to compile to Plutus as well, I'm not sure, or maybe even Solidity, something like that to, to make it easier for people. But I mean, the core idea was to, to have this uniform landscape or framework where everything is Haskell.
0: And don't you think, uh, I, I know there is Marlow for that also, but mm-hmm. don't you think Haskell is um, too difficult? Because I, I've heard it's one of the most difficult languages um, in the world. Don't you think that's kind of like an obstacle to adoption for developers, if I may say it like that? Um...
1: First of all, I don't think that it's true that Haskell is the most. It -hmm. depends, of course, how you find difficult. But um, I mean, there is this aspect that I mentioned earlier, this unusual way of thinking. So that might, of course, be difficult for a lot of people, understandably. But uh, from other point of view, I mean, for example, C++ is, uh, I think, a much more difficult language. So it depends how you look at it. I mean, Haskell yeah. doesn't have that many keywords, for example, so and the theory is relatively clear-cut and clean and easy. Uh, that's the one thing. So I, I would not necessarily agree that it's so difficult. Uh, on the other hand, also, you don't really need advanced Haskell features to program in Plutus. I mean, there's this one technical thing, how you actually translate Haskell to Plutus it uses something called template Haskell, which is relatively advanced, but that is also only used always in the same way to, to get from Haskell to Plutus code. And apart from that, I mean, all these things that people are scared about about Haskell is monads and that you don't really, really need to write Plutus context. So you can, what we call a Haskell 98 in principle, which is the was the first Haskell standard without all the fancy features that were added later on. So in principle, it, it's quite straightforward. So, so if you only know basic Haskell, then in principle, you can write Plutus. And I'm also sure that we will make it simpler over time. I mean, it's still cutting mm-hmm. edge and it changes every week a bit and actively doing research on it. But I think eventually it will also be as easy as possible. So we try to hide all the advanced stuff as as far as it's possible so that um, you can just concentrate on writing the logic of your contracts, and that only uses um, standard Haskell, which isn't very, very complicated or advanced, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. And of course, with Haskell and Solidity, what are what are the key differences? Because yes, Solidity you have to use also other languages to uh, create things off chain. But are there anything? Will you be able to do things with Haskell that you wouldn't be able to with Solidity? Or what are the differences?
1: Well, the the main hope that we have is that we can actually prove stuff about our contracts. So um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's not there yet, but the language is designed in a way, I mean, because it has this mathematical foundation yeah. and this um, system F Omega, some lambda calculus thing. Um, which is very well defined and very well understood. So the the hope is that you that it will be possible to to prove certain properties of your contracts. For example, that no money will lock forever in a contract. Marlow actually already has that feature. I mean, Malo is mm-hmm. you mentioned that before is built on Plutus uh, on top of Plutus, or you can implement it in Plutus actually, and they have very nice guarantees out of the box. For example, that no money can forever be locked in a contract, and things like that. And so so mm-hmm. our hope is that um, it's it's possible eventually to, to prove properties like that. Or for example, that no matter what happens uh, in which order people interact and do stuff, that uh, certain conditions will never be met. I mean, so for example, that like the famous or infamous DAO hack on Ethereum, that one mm-hmm. could prove yeah. even this contract, it won't be possible for somebody that uh, to ever get more money out than he put in first or something like that and um indeed. right so so that's the hope that the language is designed in a way that makes these formal methods possible to to apply to them and actually prove
0: things they... so, uh, about Marlowe, um it's been on the website that it's for made for financial applications yes. are there any specific things in language which make that it fits more for a financial application mm-hmm. than for example a game or how is
1: yes indeed so um I, earlier when I talked about Haskell, I said you can, in every language, you can do anything. It's just maybe <laughs> yeah. less fun. Because, because most, um, I mean, that's this technical term, Touring Complete, which basically means you can do everything. And Marlow, and that, I mean, of course, if you have a general programming language that you use, you would want it to be Touring Complete to to be able to do it, write every program you want, basically. But um, that comes with... Uh, yeah disadvantages as well, because, I mean, there's this famous halting problem. I don't know whether you've uh, heard about that. So basically, Alan, Alan Turing in the 30s, before there even were computers, he proved that if you have a Turing complete language, there are certain things you can't automatically decide about a program. So, for example, mm-hmm. you can't write a program that takes as input another program and decides whether that other program will crash or not. So there are certain things because the language is so powerful, it's too incomplete. Basically, some things you can only find out about a program by actually running it. You can't find out by just inspecting it. And so that means if you're interested in, in proving things about your programs, it's actually difficult or impossible for tool incomplete languages. So, Marlow is not one of these general purpose languages. It's specifically been designed for financial contracts. Mm-hmm. And it's in particular, it's not turing incomplete so and that means it's not you can't write games in it or at mm-hmm. least not not really i mean maybe some maybe some but um for example um one of the things is there is never an endless loop so every marlo contract will stop whereas i mean a turing complete language as i said halting problem um they can get into infinite loops but marlo contracts never can so they will always only have finitely many steps and then stop mm-hmm. and uh so that I mean, it's it's less powerful. It's it's designed just to do one thing well, the financial contracts. Mm-hmm. But because it's less powerful, it's it's um, possible to do analyses, uh, improve stuff much more, much easier than you would for uh, for for more powerful language. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so it has been specifically designed to to do this one thing well and specifically been restricted. to so certain things you can't do, like infinite loops but that actually means that you can write much more powerful static analysis tools that you couldn't for for arbitrary or for more general languages. And then you can automatically prove interesting properties of your contracts, like no money can ever uh, be forever locked. I um, yeah. I taught a course at our local university here some weeks ago about smart contracts and I did a lot of solidity examples. And there in class, so I played around with the testnet and I lost a lot of test money <laughs> by <laughs> just doing stupid things. Like, I yeah. mean, calling methods in the wrong order and then I couldn't get it out of the contract again. I mean, it was fun, of course, and not important. and. Uh, but I mean it can happen easily if you're not careful and mm-hmm. one of the and for example you can then with Marlowe you can guarantee that it won't happen things like that so okay. uh, that, that's the beauty of Marlowe and it's also we talked about the um, the different difficult uh, the steep learning curve uh, Haskell and Plutus earlier and Marlowe is is uh, is designed to to not have that problem so the idea is that you don't even have to be a computer scientist or or um, Software engineer to to use Malus. So the hope is that basically financial engineers of uh, financial finance people can can yeah. use. It.
0: Yeah, it's more simple than yes other types of languages. Yeah. Um, now, in regards with the Plurals ebook, um, what was the goal? Uh, what's the goal with the Plurals ebook? Is it an introduction to Plurals? Is it for already more advanced developers or with, with the audience?
1: Yes, it's an introduction to Plutus, but we did not write an introduction to Haskell. So, so for the ebook, we assumed okay. a certain knowledge of Haskell, mm-hmm. um, but but no knowledge of Plutus or any other smart contract
0: language. Yeah. Okay. And uh, is it a success? Do Do you know how many people bought it or yeah, downloaded
1: it? I well, we have we have it on two platforms. We have it on Amazon and on Leanpub.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, yeah and on leanpub i know it's, it's last sweet. time i, I checked i oh, sorry y- uh, yeah, yeah it's free it's yes. free yes we would have made it free on amazon as well but somehow uh, amazon doesn't allow that so you have to have a minimum amount mm-hmm. so so but on leanpub it's free and uh, there i know last time i checked which was some weeks ago it was more than 500 people that had downloaded it so i don't know whether it's a huge success or not but well, I, uh, I did. <laughs> I did publish my PhD thesis as a book uh, fifteen years ago, and I think in those fifteen years I have less copies sold than about <laughs> three months. <laughs> it's
0: a bit more technical, I suppose. Too, yes, so. it is. <laughs>
1: so less I'm fun. quite happy about that. And if you add in the Amazon, so I suppose maybe thousand
0: or so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, which is not bad for for beginning. Right. Yeah, definitely. Thank okay. You. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Lars. It was a real pleasure to have you here and be able to speak with you uh, about a variety of topics. I generally appreciate it. Um, I think you are really doing one of the most interesting jobs at IOHK because it's really the first strategy of adoption in Africa and in these regions where people often do not have the, um, the chance of Yeah, learning and really being able to participate in in this revolution, which blockchain is. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you very much for having me on the show. It was very interesting.
0: It was a pleasure. Thank you. We'll meet next week for a new episode on the Cardano uh, Community Podcast. So stay tuned and bye. Thank you.